So Galatians 2, 11 to 21, Paul has previously been, been outlining uh, his, kind of his, his testimony a little bit. He's been giving the Galatians a bit of an idea as to who he is and where he's coming from. And in 11 to 21, we, kinda, we, we start to pick up with some conflict. We start to pick up with, with a bit of a situation. We read Galatians 2, 11 to 21. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. This is Paul talking. Because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For, though, for through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. For your word is truth. Lord, I pray that you would speak through your word today, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. So to really understand what happened here at Antioch in the confrontation between Paul and Peter, we need to back up a little bit. We need, we need to head back to, to Acts chapter 10, a little bit before what, well actually right before what Naim read this morning for, uh, for scripture and prayer, to the story of Peter and Cornelius. In the beginning of chapter 10 in Acts, we read about how this centurion Cornelius, an upstanding man, very moral, very good, uh, he, he's, he's searching for God. He's trying to figure out what is, what is going on, and, and he gets a vision from the Lord, and he says, send men to the man Simon, who's standing, or he's staying in, in a guy named Simon's house, and, and go and get him. And, and so Cornelius does it. Now Simon, Peter's kind of a confusing character in that he goes by like three different names at different times in, in the New Testament. Peter is how we, we typically know of him. Uh, in, in our passage this morning, he's known as Cephas. And in our story this morning, he's known as Simon. Cornelius was instructed to send men to go and get Peter and bring Peter back to Cornelius. Now that's, that's a bit scandalous, really. Because Cornelius is not a Jew. He's a Roman. He's a centurion. He's not a Jew. And, 
and the Jews weren't really supposed to hang out. They weren't supposed to eat. They weren't supposed to socialize with the Gentiles, those who weren't Jews. And yet still, God tells Cornelius to send Peter this messenger, to send this person to come and collect Peter and bring him back to go and spend time and to teach and instruct Cornelius and his family. Now, during this time, Peter is hanging out at Simon's house, Simon the Tanner. And he's out on this veranda, and he's hungry. He's like, yeah, I, I could really go for some food. I'm, I'm really hungry. And during this time, he gets a vision. And in the vision, this, this sheet is lowered before him. And it's full of all of these animals he's not allowed to eat. He's not allowed to partake in. And a voice from heaven calls down and says, Peter... Take, kill, and eat. And Peter's like, this has to be some kind of test. I'm not supposed to do that. I'm not supposed to partake in this. He's like, no, no, I I can't do that. And again, it comes down. Peter, take, kill, and eat. Satisfy your hunger. He's like, nah, (laughs) can't really do that. These are unclean animals. I'm not allowed to fellowship. I'm not allowed to spend time. I'm not allowed to partake in this. I'm not allowed to eat this unclean animal, any of these, these unclean animals, she goes back up and again it comes down. Peter, take, kill, eat. Peter's beginning to get the message. He's beginning to clue in because directly after that, as soon as the sheet gets taken up for the third time and he's, he's been stretched and he's thinking about this, that there's something going on here. He gets a messenger from from someone in, in Simon's house. And he says, hey, Peter, there's guys at the door. They want to talk to you. They, they've got a method. I don't know what's going on, but there's some guys here to get you. And Peter goes down and, and he talks to these guys. And they're like, hey, our, our leader, Cornelius, he sent us to come and get you, to come and teach us about the word, to come and teach us about God. And, and Peter begins to realize what Jesus is doing here, what, what God is, is telling him here. That it's time for these, these customs, these, these walls to come down. That it's okay to go to the Gentiles, to those that were once seen as unclean. Those that were once seen as unclean. We can't have fellowship with them. We can't spend time with them. And so he does. He goes with these guys and he goes to Cornelius and we pick up in Acts chapter 10 verses 34 through 35 which we read this morning and Peter is speaking to the group at Cornelius' house. Cornelius has gathered all of his friends and he's gathered his followers, the people that that work for him and his family and his friends and he said, we've got someone that's going to come and give us a good news. We've got someone that's going to come and give us uh, the message, the gospel. And this is exciting. So come and Peter's speaking to this group And he says, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Peter gets it. He understands the message behind the sheet and the animals. He understands that the walls are coming down, that they have come down, and that it is okay to have fellowship together between the Jews and the Gentiles. So it was revealed to Peter by God that it was encouraged, not just acceptable, but encouraged to spend time, to eat and socialize with the Gentiles, even though this went against the Jewish laws and customs. And he did so. He did this until the men from James came. 
He's hanging out in Antioch, and he's hanging out with all of the Greeks, because Antioch is in, it, it, it's not a place that, that all of the Jews are at this point in time. He, he's hanging out, and, and so these men come from James. They come from Jerusalem. They come from the old school, if you want to put it that way. And they're coming in, and, and they're seeing Peter hanging out, hanging out with the Gentiles, eating, socializing with the Gentiles. And until these fellow Jews from Jerusalem came to Antioch, Peter had been hanging out with the Gentiles. But when they came, Peter distanced himself. He separated himself from his Greek brothers. He did it because he wanted to fit in with the Jews. He was afraid of what they would think of him, what his peers would think of him, how they would look on him. Peter may have been the rock on which Christ built his church, as we read in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, but he was also human. He was still swayed by peer pressure, still vulnerable to sin, and so he gave in. And when he gave in, when he separated himself, when he drew away from, from the Gentiles, so did others. Barnabas. One of, the, one of those commissioned to reach the Gentiles was swayed by the pressure from his Jewish friends and brothers to separate himself from the very people that he had been sent to reach and to teach. Last week we, we learned about how those in Jerusalem, Peter, James, and John, had commissioned Paul and Barnabas to go to the Gentiles and to reach them. And then through Paul's hypocrisy, through Paul's, I mean, through Peter's hypocrisy, through Peter turning away, Barnabas was turned away, separated himself from those that he had been sent to reach, to teach, and to minister to. Paul, in our, in our verses today, talks about how he pointed out Peter's hypocrisy. His saying one thing, being convicted of one thing, and then doing something else. Peter was allowing cultural differences to become more important than gospel unity. Cultural differences becoming more important than unity in the gospel. Do we ever struggle with this? Do we ever struggle with this? Do we let cultural differences get in the way of the gospel, get in the way of, of gospel unity? Do we expect people to well, look like us or, or sound like us, dress like us, talk like us? Do we have a checklist of how we're supposed to present ourselves? If we tend to be more quiet and, and reserved, how do we feel about those who are loud and abrasive and emotional? If we tend to be louder and expressive, how do we feel about those who are quiet, closed off, distant? How do we treat, how do we interact with people that are totally different than us? Personally and culturally. Kind of ran into this a little bit. Uh, my family, we're pretty loud. Now, we're, we're Norwegian from way back, but you wouldn't know it to like come and, and, and spend time in our house. We're, we're very loud. Uh, some of you know my, my mom and, and my sisters. They, they get excited so like something happens, you know, there's, there's like a, a, a pregnancy announcement and it's, it's like you set a bomb off in the house and it's just, oh yes, yeah, so exciting. There's hugs and it's, 
It's, it's chaos, really, is what it is. But it's exciting. It's a, it's a fun time. And then, and then I, I married Karen, and, and her family is it's a little different. It's more reserved. It's quiet. You know, oh, there's a pregnancy announcement. It's like, oh, well, that's awesome. Congratulations. Let me shake your hand. Maybe we'll sneak a hug in. But it's, this, is, this is a good thing. And, and when you bring the two families together, it can get a little awkward, right? It's like our family is just woohoo, and everything's excited, and there's like bombs going off, and, and, and then Karen's family is looking at us like, what is wrong with them? Why are they acting this particular way? And my family is looking at Karen's family going, what's wrong with them? Why are they excited? Can, can't they be happy with us in this situation? Everybody's excited in this situation. Everybody's happy about the, the particular announcement. It's just we, we look at it different. We do it different. And it took a little bit of time, a little bit of communication, a little bit of working through some, some awkwardness to be able to communicate with each other and, and to begin to understand where the different family groups were coming from, where, where we were, how we were approaching the situations. So we're different. It's not that we're not happy. It's not that we're sad. It's not that we're crazy. It's not that we're sane. We're just different. We just look at things, experience things different. But it was a little hard. It was something we had to navigate, something we had to deal with. Working through cultural differences can be hard. It can be scary. But not accepting someone on the basis of their culture or on their personality, it's a form of legalism. It's saying, well, we expect you to live like this. Translation, what we mean by that is, like us. Or we expect you to follow these particular rules and regulations and do things like a normal Christian. Again, in translation, like us. Tim Keller has this to say, about legalism. He writes, Legalism is dangerous. It is looking to something besides Jesus Christ in order to be acceptable and clean before God. Legalism always results in pride and fear psychologically and exclusion and strife socially. Legalism always results in pride and fear psychologically and exclusion and strife socially. It's so easy to subtly lapse into Peter's sin, the sin of legalism, the sin of putting too much weight on culture and being influenced by those that think like us. It's a slippery slope and an easy one to go down to simply take our own preferences too seriously and give moral significance to something that is simply cultural. To give moral significance to something that is simply cultural. Now I want to emphasize that we're, we're talking about cultural differences, cultural preferences here. Sometimes people want to hide sin in cultural preferences. That, that doesn't work. And we can't fall into that trap. We, we aren't going into relativity here, but sin is sin. And the Bible is clear on what is sin. So we can't let our cultural acceptance 
of cultural differences extend into sin. For example, uh, a few years ago I had the, the opportunity to go to Africa. And in Africa, we, we got to spend some time with, with our missionaries over there, uh, going through like some of the villages. And, and at one point, we had the opportunity to go to our seminary that we have over in Chad. It was a great experience. It was awesome. But there were some surprises in store for, for some of us. And one of those things that was just, it was just kind of crazy for us in the beginning was that culturally, in that culture, the men beat their wives. And that's just something that happens. That's just something that, that takes place. And it's one of the things that in the seminary, they have to break down right away. And, and these men have a hard time understanding why this isn't okay. But it's not something that we can just culturally accept. It's not okay. That is sinful. It's not something that is, that is acceptable. And so it's not something that just because that was the culture that they were raised in, that's the culture they came from, that's not something that... That we and, and the teachers and the instructors at the seminary are able to instruct. They say it's one of the first things that they have to intentionally address as, as these as these men come to the uh, come to the the seminary over in over in Chad, Africa. We can't let cultural things, things that that are okay in our cultures, if it's sin, it's sin. So that's not the type of cultural difference that we're talking about here. That's not eating and fellowshipping with someone that's different within us, right? So I just I want to make sure that we're drawing that line, that just because it's something that is cultural to you doesn't automatically make it acceptable. If it's sin, it, it's still sin. We can't let cultural differences change how we view sin. And in the same way, we can't let cultural differences change how we view the gospel. The gospel brings us together. It unites us. And Paul continues to stress this point, this unifying quality of the gospel when he introduces the phrase, justified by faith. Justified by faith. What, is, what does that mean? What does that look like? For us, this phrase is central to the Christian gospel. It is, it's Paul's nutshell summary of the gospel. The word justification is a legal reference. And the opposite of the word justified is condemned. So justification means that in Christ, even though we are still sinners, we are not under condemnation. As Christians, since we have been justified, the sin that we commit does not condemn us. It does not keep us from God to be justified means that God accepts us despite our sin. J.I. Packer puts it this way, to justify in the Bible means to declare of a man on trial that he is not liable to any penalty, but is entitled to all of the privileges due to those who have kept the law. Justifying is the act of a judge pronouncing the opposite sentence to condemnation that of acquittal and legal immunity. And Paul is saying that we are justified by faith. By faith in what Christ has done. And if we are justified by faith in what Christ has done, then we are not justified by what we do. Observing the law does not save. We cannot save ourselves. Observing cultural customs does not save. 
We are freed from those chains, and so we can unite despite our cultural differences. The gospel unites us in spite of our insecurities, in spite of our personalities, in spite of our differences. We are all united in the gospel because we have all been justified by faith. And in the beginning of of verse 14 of our passage today, Paul writes, But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. In step with the truth of the gospel. In step. I, really, uh, I used to really be into some of the like, reality competition shows, though I haven't watched any of them for, for quite a few years now, but you know, I, I, we used to watch like, shows like The Voice and, and American Idol, particularly like, right in the beginning when they were like, choosing who was going to go like, different places. It was just kind of fun, man. You got to watch like, guys be not so good, and, and then you got to watch guys be pretty good, and it was just it's entertaining. It's fun. And I mean, I, I, a show that I, I never really got into was Dancing with the Stars. I mean, I, I watch it on occasion, but I, I never tuned in on a weekly basis or, or anything like that. I didn't, I didn't watch to see who's going to make the cut or, or who wasn't. But the few times that I did tune in, it was, it was kind of fun. It was entertaining. It was interesting. And, and if the couple was good, they moved around the floor in perfect harmony, never tripping over each other, never clumsily bumping into each other. Instead, they moved seamlessly around the floor in total and complete harmony. And it looked good. It looked fun. It looked exciting. It looked like something that would be fun to do, fun to participate in. It was, it was fun to watch as a couple danced together in such a way that you could tell they were both very familiar with the dance. They were very familiar with each other. They were confident in each step that the other would take. And so they could be confident in the steps that they were going to take. They were moving in step with each other. Paul is saying that our lives, our outlook on life, the way that we go about our business, the way that we interact, the way that we spend time together, is supposed to be in step with the gospel. That we are so comfortable and familiar with the gospel that we understand how it views us, how it views others, and that we move with it seamlessly in a dance. That everything in our lives should fall in step with the intent or direction of the gospel. We are to think about its implications in every area of our life and seek to be thinking or feeling or behaving in step with it. Overlooking cultural differences, looking past personalities, finding unity in the finished work of Christ on the cross. This is living in step with the gospel. You know, sometimes it can be hard to look at each other, to regard each other, treat each other in ways that are in step with the gospel. Sometimes it's hardest to look at ourselves regard ourselves, treat ourselves in ways that are in step with the gospel. The gospel dance isn't always easy, but it is exciting, and it is fulfilling, and it is encouraging. 
And it tells us of how God views our neighbor, and it tells us of how God views us individually. It tells us that God loves us so much that He did what we needed to do, and He did it for us. That we could not work towards our justification, that we would fail. And we would be separated from God forever. And so in His great love and mercy, He sent His Son to the cross to bear our sin and shame. And that because of His death and resurrection and our understanding of our need for His sacrifice and our faith that the Bible is true and that God was able to do all that He said that He did, that we have been justified. Justified by faith. What a gift. What a treasure. What a joy. What a blessing the Father has poured out on us. As we go today, let us go striving to see each other and to see ourselves the way that God sees us in step with the gospel. Amen.